You are Locked On A's. Your daily Oakland A's podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. How's it going, A's fans? And welcome to episode 200 of the Locked On A's podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. We made it to 200. I am noted baseball fan Jason Burke. And on today's show, we have nothing special planned because the A's have not done anything. So uh, we're just going to go over some of the news from the weekend, including arbitration settlements, a minor trade, and Dave Stewart putting in a bid to buy Oakland's portion of the Coliseum site. So that's what's on deck for today. Make sure to follow us on social media at Locked On A's on Twitter and Instagram. I'm at by Jason B on Twitter. And if you have any questions for us, please send those to lockedonathletics at gmail.com. Also, today's episode is brought to you guys by Built Bar. Go to builtbar.com, use promo code locked on, and you'll get 20% off your next order. So, getting into it, Friday was the deadline for teams to avoid arbitration with their arbitration eligible players, and the A's came to terms with all six of their guys, which gives us an idea of where their payroll sits. I'll get into some of those big payroll numbers here in a second, but first, let's go over the deals that were struck. Uh, struck. Uh, the biggest deal was handed out uh, to Mark Canna on Friday, who will be getting $6.925 million in 2021. Right behind him is Matt Chapman, who's getting 6.49. I don't know why they didn't just make it an even 6.5, but you know, whatever. Uh, Matt Chapman is in his first year of arbitration uh, out of a possible three years with the A's. So uh, that's not a not a bad salary for him in his first year of arbitration. Uh, Nolan Arenado, a comparable third baseman, got $5 million in his first year of arbitration. Grant Granted, Arenado was a couple years younger, so I don't think that that has anything to do with it. I think that it's just uh, stats when once you get to the majors. But Matt Chapman is one and a half million, well, one point four nine million dollars better than Nolan Arenado. So uh, take that, Colorado Rockies. Uh, I assume that Coors had something to do with that. But anyways, let's get into what that six point four nine million dollars means for Matt Chapman moving forward in arbitration years. And because uh, the rule of thumb here is that a player gets forty percent of what they would get on the open market in their first year of arbitration. So uh, roughly, we are working with $16 million based off of that metric. Uh, And then in the second year, that he'd be getting 60% of what he'd get on the open market. Um, Obviously, that number can fluctuate. It might not be $16 million each and every year. He still has room to get better. So uh, he could be a 20 to $25 million player. And all of a sudden, the A's are paying a whole lot more next season for Matt Chapman, but uh, we shall see. Uh, And then in that third year, he'd be getting 80% of what he'd get on the open market. And obviously this is a rule of thumb. It is not a steadfast and, you know, true rule. It doesn't hold true every time. Uh, I personally think that Matt Chapman is worth more than $16 million a year, but uh, I think that they had to go on precedent a little bit and say like, oh, this is what we think you'd get. And he was like, yeah, sure, whatever. So I think that, and especially coming off the injury in 2020, it hurt his numbers a little bit. He probably could have gotten a little bit more, but um, if he keeps putting up seasons like he did in 2019 or even improves upon them, then he's probably not going to be able to sign an extension, obviously, because he'd be a 20 to $25 million player uh, each and every year. But if he's worth $16 million a year, if that is true, maybe, just maybe, there is hope that Matt Chapman would sign on through like age 35? I don't know. Uh, it. It would be a, a financial gamble a little bit for the A's, given some of his injury history and stuff throughout his minor league time and then a little bit here in the majors. But 
they can afford $16 billion. They're, they're giving that and more to Chris Davis right now, and he doesn't play defense. So I think that uh, Matt Chapman maybe isn't gone. We'll see. Uh, it gave me a little bit more hope seeing that figure out in, out in the world. Uh, obviously, he's probably going to be better than he ever has been in 2021, and he's going to be getting way, way more money. But uh, that that's a worry for another day. What I really wanted to say is that he should be getting right around $9.5 million in 2022 through arbitration, if everything holds, and right around $13 million in his final year, again, if everything holds. If he's putting up numbers like he was in 2019, probably goes up a little bit, maybe to 11 and 15, something like that, but he's still affordable is what I'm saying, and hopefully I, I am wrong about the A's probably having to trade him at the end of the season. And by season, I mean this season, because I figured that he'd get a little too expensive for the A's, and that would also maximize his value in a return, um, but... Maybe if he's not costing that much and there's hope of an extension, maybe they could sign him. I'm still not holding my breath, but there's a little bit more hope in my dark heart than there was before Friday. And I guess my larger point with all of this, uh, with putting those numbers out there for arbitration for uh, Matt Chapman in 2022 and 2023, is that they're not outlandish and maybe, just maybe, they can hold on to him and Matt Olson through arbitration for the next you know, it'd be three years, including this year. And because uh, they seem like they'd be at affordable rates, even for the A's. And the, the real problem with that, or the question that would be asked internally, rather, would be whether it's time to supplement the next wave of minor leaguers coming down the pipeline with a couple of big trades involving two pretty good players. So there's a there's going to be some internal discussions probably in the A's front office here in the next few years or months, I guess. <laughs> they don't have years uh, to figure out what to do next and uh, whether or not this team has run its course and whether or not they need to uh, retool for the future. So, again, that is a problem for another day. But as an A's fan, you know that it's always in the back of your mind. But, uh, yeah, anyways, moving on. The A's also signed Shaman Nye for $5.95 million, giving him one more year of team control before hitting free agency. And they also signed Chris Bassett for $4.9 million with one more year of uh, team control left as well. The last two guys they signed on Friday were Frankie Montas for $1.8 million in his first year of arbitration. So that's why that number is a little bit lower than the other two guys, because he hasn't been through it a couple times. And uh, Lou Trevino also got $912,500. That's the one. Ha ha. Take that, second grade. <laughs> uh, this was Trevino's first year of arbitration, but he still has three more years of team control left via arbitration thanks to being deemed a Super 2. And uh, Super 2 players are basically those that have been ranked in the top 22% of service time among players that have between two and three years of service time. So he was in that upper echelon of guys uh, that have had service time because he was good for one year and then the A's are holding on hope. Uh, basically, it's just an extra year of arbitration for the player, but it occurs before they would usually hit arbitration after three years of big league time. So it works out to a little bit of a raise. Uh, before they would usually hit arbitration in the case of Lou Trevino here. So with all of these players now inked, the A's have holes at shortstop, potentially second base, and I'd like it if there was a veteran bullpen arm or two added to the roster to make me feel a little bit better personally. Uh, and according to Fangraphs, the A's payroll currently sits at $76 million, which is $19 million below what they spent on payroll in 2020 before adjusting for the pandemic and all that stuff. Um, that would mean that the front office should have an extra 
extra $19 million or so to play around with to address those holes on the roster. But my guess is that Johnny Boy John Fisher may not be allowing uh, for that much payroll to be spent. My guess is maybe they've got like $9 million to work with to supplement all these holes. And uh, we will see. Uh, and, you know, I'm basing this off of his history of not spending money and also the pandemic. So uh, not a lot to go on there, but gut feel and gusto. So if it were me, I'd spend most of that money finding a one-year shortstop, which would likely rule out Marcus Simeon. Uh, sorry, Marcus. Uh, he deserves more than one year and definitely more than $8 million to sign with any team, even if it's the A's. So uh, that's why I think that it would rule him out. Maybe the Twins want to give him like 3-30 and 30 or something like that. And uh, go get it, Marcus. Get your money if the A's aren't going to give it to you. So, And the reason that I think that shortstop is such an important position for the A's uh, in finding a suitable replacement is that if they find a suitable replacement at shortstop, then... I could live with seeing how Kemp and Pender split time at second base. It's not the worst idea. Maybe they have a decent platoon split and they're like roughly league average. I'm fine with that. And given the number of young arms in the minors, the bullpen could work itself out over the course of the season. Um, I don't necessarily want to bank on it, but they, they've got some talent there. They just don't have anybody to play shortstop except for Nick Allen, who I don't know that I want to hinge an entire season on rookie shortstop. Um, but you know, maybe that's for another day. <laughs> As I talked about on Friday's show with Josh Neighbors, the American League is wide open. The White Sox and Yankees appear to be pretty good, but they're not invincible by any means. And that means that a couple of good moves by the A's could put them right into that top three echelon mix as well. Uh, then again, a couple of pitching upgrades for the Angels could put them right into that same conversation. So it's a fun little dance that we're playing right now. With like, hey, who wants to spend some money? And apparently it's nobody. But that said, the A's did spend a few bucks, probably, uh, at making a move to bring in Nick Turley from the Pittsburgh Pirates in exchange for cash considerations, which are never that much. It, it's like a thousand bucks, maybe a hundred thousand dollars. It's not a ton in MLB terms by any means. Uh, Nick Turley is a 31 year old six foot four lefty that was taken in the 50th round of the 2008 draft. Uh, that round does not exist anymore. That's how you know he was taken so long ago. Uh, after making his major league debut in 2017 with the twins, he missed the 2018 and 2019 seasons recovering from Tommy John surgery. He's also out of options. So that means that he has to stick on the A's 26 man roster or be subjected to waivers, so they got to have a good feeling about him being a part of the bullpen, at least when the season starts, see how that shakes out. Uh, I'm, I'm not against it, but it also probably means that uh, A.J. Puck probably sticking in the rotation uh, for better or worse, I guess, so we'll see how that goes. And the only reason I say that is because uh, if you move Puck into the bullpen, like I keep suggesting, that'll give you a Puck, Turley, and Deekman as the lefties, and uh, I don't know that you necessarily need three lefties. You can have three lefties, but I don't know that you need three lefties. So, And they've already said that puck in the rotation is probably where they want to go, blah, 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 blah. So anyways, uh, back to Nick Turley. His traditional stats are not stellar. He had a 4.95 ERA and an 8.3 strikeouts per nine compared to 4.6 walks per nine in 2020. So uh, not great stats, especially uh, I can take the 8.3 strikeouts per nine. That's fine, but it's the 4.6 walks. So there's not a big differential right there. So uh, if you have like 4.6 walks per nine, you want something closer to like 12 strikeouts, I would say, then that effectively wildness. And he does not have that. But what he does have is a 
Fastball spin that ranks in the 95th percentile, and his curveball spin is in the 84th percentile. So he's got some spin. I'm sure that the A's are going to work on his control and uh, make him an effective reliever. He's probably like TJ McFarland from last offseason. They brought him in. They were like, hey, let's see how this guy does. He was fine. He wasn't great, but he was fine. And Nick Turley seems to have better underlying stats than TJ McFarland. So we'll see how that goes. His expected ERA was a run lower than what his final stat line showed. And so he had a 378 uh, ERA in 2020. So uh, maybe the Coliseum knocks another half a run off that. You got a 3-5 ERA guy uh, thrown from the left side. Maybe he has a little bit more upside than we're expecting. And it cost the A's nothing. So... Not a bad deal, maybe. We'll see. I'm intrigued by this trade. We'll see how it goes. And I'm not saying that he's going to be the next Oakland ace reliever, but there are enough parts here that could make him an interesting addition to the bullpen. He's going to have to get a handle on that walk rate, but I'm willing that the A's coaches saw something before the front office swung the deal, so they're going to work with him. They're going to fine-tune him, and uh, he's going to get a little bit better, I think, because I believe in the A's coaching staff and what they seem to do year in and year out so anyways coming up on the show dave stewart made some news so let's talk about it stay locked in with locked on a's and i'll be right back it's championship week in the nfl playoffs and we got four teams left going for that super bowl championship uh we got some odds coming up for you guys but uh if you want to place a bet there is only one place that has you covered and one place that we trust and that is betonline.ag sign up today for a free account at betonline.ag and use that promo code locked on for 50 percent welcome bonus Coming up next Sunday, you got the Tampa Bay Buccaneers against the Green Bay Packers. I remember when they first faced off in the playoffs, like in, I don't know, 2001, 1999, whenever Warren Sapp was cool. Uh, those were good times. Anyways, in this version, you got Tom Brady of the Tampa Bay, the Tom, Tampa Bay Toms? Or have they been called that? I don't watch football. Anyways, you got the Buccaneers at plus three and a half against the Packers. The money line has the Packers at negative 193, and the over-under is set at 51 points. So uh, if any of that sounds good to you, betonline.ag. You also got the Bills and the Chiefs going up in Kansas City, or over in Kansas City. They're playing each other in Kansas City. Uh, the Chiefs are at negative 3, the Bills are at plus 3. You got the money line with the Chiefs getting negative 156, and the Bills at uh, positive 136, over-under set at 54 points. And I'm assuming that all of these lines are going to be moving as we get more information on Patrick Mahomes as he clears con concussion protocol, as he stays in concussion protocol. Whatever happens with Patrick Mahomes is going to move that line. I believe before this uh, game was even announced, before the Chiefs had actually won the game, uh, the, the spread was at 6.5, I believe, with the Chiefs being favored by 6.5. So, uh, if you're betting on the Chiefs, maybe now's the time to go for that. If you're if you're thinking that the Bills have a chance in this one, but you want to wait and see on Pat Mahomes, maybe you got to wait on placing that bet. But uh, no matter what you're doing, don't sit on the sidelines anymore. Get into the action, and don't forget to use the promo code Locked On to receive a 50% welcome bonus with your first deposit. Bet online, your online sportsbook experts. Today's show is also brought to you by the Improved Built Bar, and it is even more delicious than usual. They have 18 amazing flavors, including nut and non-nut flavors. They have six new flavors like caramel brownie, cookies and cream, cherry barcia. I'm not going to read the other ones right now. Cherry barcia. I had this one. They sent me a box. It is delicious. It's like those cherries covered in chocolate. It is amazing, and I want more of them. 
And uh, I really need to take advantage of this offer that they have. They have their original 12 flavors. Cherry Mercy is the only thing that's on my mind right now. Uh, their bars are 100% covered in chocolate. Sometimes they have cherries in them, like in the Cherry Barcia. Uh, they are soft and easy to chew. They are delicious. They are protein bars that taste like candy bars or, you know, cherries covered in chocolate. And their Cherry Barcias are built for the health-conscious person like me. Uh, or, you know, people that like cherries covered in chocolate. You can lose or maintain weight while indulging in a delicious treat. Their bars are low-calorie, low sugar, high protein, high fiber, and great for the keto diet. So all you got to do to get your hands on some of these cherry barcias is go to BuiltBar.com and use promo code LOCKEDON and you will get 20% off your next order. Use promo code LOCKEDON for 20% off at BuiltBar.com. 2020 is mercifully over. It's time to, for a fresh start and a few more wins. If you're betting this year and want more wins, listen to Locked On Bets with your boy Q and Lee Sterling of Paramount Sports. They are picking college basketball, football, and NBA locks all winter long. Subscribe to Locked On Bets wherever you get podcasts. Welcome back to the Locked On Ace Podcast. If you guys are enjoying the show, make sure to hit subscribe wherever you like hearing podcasts. Follow us on social media at Locked On A's on Twitter and Instagram. I am at ByJasonB on Twitter. And if you have any questions for us, please send those to LockedOnAthletics at gmail.com. So the Dave Stewart news. On Saturday night, Susan Slusser, Matt Kawahara of the SF Chronicle, San Francisco Chronicle, for those not informed, uh, published a story saying that the former A's ace, Dave Stewart, had submitted a bid of $115 million to buy the city of Oakland's half of the Coliseum site. The article also mentions that the A's bought Alameda County's half of the site in October for $85 million, so the A's already own half of the land that they'd need to build a new ballpark at the current Coliseum site. As far as Dave Stewart's bid goes, he still needs to submit his vision for the site as well as his plans for the property. He said that he plans to revitalize the area where he grew up and potentially build a stadium there if Howard Terminal uh, falls through, so nice backup plan. Dave Stewart may be doing a solid. I don't know. Uh, the city of Oakland has received a bunch of offers and will review each of them in time. Uh, I'm not sure when offers are due by, but I assume that it's soon. Um, anyways, that's basically all that we know. I read the article a couple of times and it's kind of hard to make heads or tails of what's like legitimately going on here. Um, on, on the one hand, this is awesome news that Oakland native Dave Stewart wants to revitalize the area that he grew up in. And on the other hand, what if Howard Terminal falls through, which I mean, feels likely at this point because it's been years and not much has happened. There's still no ground broken and, uh, 2023 is only a couple of years away. So don't think that's going to happen. Um, is, is Dave Stewart going to be the landlord if that happens? I would love that. That'd be a lot of fun. He's like, hey, it's not Ricky Henderson Field anymore. It's Dave Stewart Park. I'm the landlord. My name goes on the building. <laughs> I think that'd be really funny. I don't know what his necessary end game is if Howard Terminal falls through, which feels kind of likely. Um, I, I just don't know where this is headed. If I'm being honest, it feels like we can infer some things. Uh, he said that he's happy to work with the A's and, you know, he talked to Dave Cavill. He says that he, he's happy to work with the A's, uh, if the A's need to build their ballpark at the Coliseum site. But in that case, why not just let the A's buy the property? Why, why is Dave Stewart involved? There, there are moving parts that we, that just have not made the newspapers yet, which led to a lot of speculation from fans on Twitter, but the beat writers and insiders for the situation have been pretty quiet. So, I feel like we just don't necessarily know where this is headed. Uh, and we don't even know if Dave Stewart's going to, if his bid's going to be the one that's picked overall. So uh, it, it's strange and whatnot, but I still feel like the, uh, he also expressed that uh, the city should 
stay out of the A's way. They need to build in Oakland and try and make that happen. So I feel like he wants to keep the A's here. He's not going to be like, no, you can't build on my land. Ha ha ha. He, he will put his name on the building, according to me. But um, that is it. Um, so yeah, I, I think that it's probably a good thing because he seems committed to Oakland. And really at this point, that's where my bar is. Is just keep the team in Oakland. I don't care where, if I can get there by Bart. Awesome. If not, yeah, sure. I'll drive, I guess. Um, so yeah, he, he, it sounds like he wants to revitalize that area, build some restaurants, build some bars, you know, stuff like that. Make it a place to go in the community, make it a city within a city is what I think he said. Uh, why do they have to, why do people have to go to San Francisco to have a good time? Why not stay in Oakland, do the same thing? Um, the area probably needs some work because it's a little scary not knowing where I am. But uh, otherwise, you know, I'll take BART and stuff. Everything's been fine on BART so far. I know that there have been robberies on the BART, so that makes me a little bit wary. But anyways, that's just uh, me rambling. Uh, there was one other offer that was reported by the SF Chronicle, uh, San Francisco Chronicle, for those that are not informed. And that was a $92 million bid by the African-American Sports and Entertainment Group whose goal was to use the land to attract an NFL team that would have majority black ownership. And uh, I, I, I like basically what they're saying here. They're like, hey, come here. We have a, a group of black owners that would like to own an NFL franchise. That is awesome. I just don't know that I'm huge on it because uh, I, I don't necessarily. I, I know that they'd be in a different facility than the A's, but we did that with the Raiders and they always messed up the field for playoff time. And I think that I'm just scarred from that. So having anybody playing football in the same vicinity as the A's, I'm against, I guess. I don't watch a lot of football, but it feels like um, a lot of fans are either Niners fans because there was no Oakland Raiders at the time that we were growing up. I, I am one of those people who was of that age where there was no Raiders when I was growing up and the Niners were good. And my dad liked the Niners, so uh, Niners, I guess. Uh, I've also fallen out of love with football, so I don't really watch it anymore. And the Raiders have left twice now, so are there still like a lot of Oakland Raider fans? I assume that there are because they've stuck with the team, you know, this far and all that stuff. But if they brought in a new team, would, would anybody care necessarily? Like if they brought the Jaguars over, or, or is everybody going to drop their Oakland and San Francisco allegiances? Be like, oh, we're Oakland Jaguars fans now. I don't feel like that would fly. And are they going to do like an expansion team? Is the NFL ready to expand already? I don't think so, because they just left Oakland. Uh, why would they bring an expansion team there? who has no roots. And that's the thing is, I don't think there is a team that they could bring in there that would have roots that would plant in Oakland, um, you know, like the Raiders already have and like the Niners uh, are, I mean, in Santa Clara, but, you know, still, um, I don't know that that would be a smart move. So I don't know that uh, the African-American Sports and Entertainment Group is necessarily the bed that I would pick if I was the city of Oakland, just because the land will probably sit there vacant for a while. Um, whereas Dave Stewart has a plan. So Dave Stewart, you got my votes. Hopefully you don't screw me up on that one. <laughs> and also, I have to silence my NFL talk because our Padres host uh, talked about the Chargers on his podcast for like a full episode and his mentions have not stopped for the past week. And I would also like to avoid that same fate. So I am going to stick in my lane, talk about baseball as much as I can. Um, but yeah, anyways, to, to recap the Dave Stewart news, he put in a bid and the city has to look it over uh, along with a bunch of other bids before, you know, choosing the winning bid for who's going to own the bunch of land. And uh, they said the whole process would be transparent. So we should be able to keep an eye on what's going on for the entirety of the process. And if Stu's bid is selected, then he will try to make the area a destination within Oakland, whether there's a ballpark there or not, uh, a new ballpark 
or not. Um, the plan sounds a lot like what other ballparks do to open up bars and restaurants around the ballpark to bring people in and then keep them there before and after the game. So uh, that's all that. And if I hear anything else, then I will keep you guys updated as more comes out. But uh, that is it for me today. So until next time, stay indoors and celebrate good times, Oakland. Keep wearing those masks and I will talk at you soon.